0: In October 25th, 1964, the Minnesota Vikings led 27-17 against the San Francisco 49ers. It seemed like they had the game in the bag, especially when the 49ers coughed up the ball and a defensive end picked it up. This man ran alone, running, running, completely untouched by any other player. He held on tight, completely focused on one thing and one thing alone. He had to get to that end zone. When he arrived at the end zone, Jim Marshall, the player in question, was very pleased with himself. He was there alone, celebrating the touchdown by tossing the ball in the air. He turned to the spectators, anticipating celebration from the arena, but he didn't get any. Everyone knew what was going on except for Marshall. Jim Marshall thought he was scoring a touchdown for the Vikings, but instead won two points for the opposing team because he ran in the wrong direction. His team went on to win that game despite his debacle, but 57 years later, the world still remembers it. To catch us up on what we've covered so far in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, Paul exclaims to the Ephesian believers that God the Father is to be praised for his wonderful plan. This plan is to reconcile heaven and earth in Christ. That is, he has to put all things in right relationship with the authority of Christ. He's also chosen believers to be part of the church, the body of Christ, and enjoy unity with Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, he reminded them, the believers at Ephesus, that they were in ruin as sinners. God showed them, and us, here at Westmont Bible Chapel, his grace and mercy in Christ Jesus, and made us alive so that we can do good works to glorify God. So as Christ displays his glory in the church through us, heaven and earth is the arena watching the church. How do you and I avoid being Jim Marshalls in the team that we've been drafted into? As heaven and earth look into the arena at the church, how do you and I avoid being Jim Marshalls in the team that we've been drafted into? Today we will see how God caused us to switch teams and how we can play well in the arena of heaven and uh, arena as heaven and earth. Watch on. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 to 22 and that's the uh, passage that our brother Bill just read this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 to 22 and let's consider this. First we're going to look at team foreigners Then we're going to look at team family, and finally we're going to have an application. Team foreigners, team family, and an application. It's simple. Let's consider our first point, team foreigners. Let's read verse 11, chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Before talking to these new believers about their new team, their new place, their new blessings in Christ, Paul needed to remind them of who they were in relation to each other and to God who saved them in Christ. So if you've been following with us in Ephesians, you will remember that the plan of God requires setting people in right relationship with christ not just with regards to forgiveness of sin but with regards to even his authority in the universe and unless he gets into the heart of the issues of this church and this community reconciliation with each other and with god won't begin to happen so he's not going to avoid the elephant in the room he goes straight for it he says believers you were at one time gentiles in the flesh What's peculiar about this is we have to realize that Gentiles don't call themselves Gentiles, right? This is a Jewish label, and it's given to them by the Jews in the church and in that area. And Paul wants them to remember that from the perspective of the Jewish people, they were Gentiles. And not just Gentiles by birth, but Gentiles because they were not circumcised. Their very bodies were evidence that they were not participants in whatever the Jews had. But what's the significance of circumcision? It was the practice that the Jews adopted as per the Lord's command to Abraham, a sign of covenantal participation, a sign that they would be inheritors of the promises of God. And God had these promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12 to 22. So if you were to read that passage, you will see the promises that God made with Abraham and those that were circumcised were covenant participants in some way. It was symbolic of that. Circumcision in the minds of the Jews was synonymous with salvation. It was synonymous with God's favor. It was synonymous with God's choice, with God's blessing. And Paul reminds these gentle, Gentile believers, not gentle, Gentile, Gentile believers that they were considered nobodies by the so-called participants of the Abrahamic covenant. And he clarifies the word here, Gentile, with the, word, with the phrase, the uncircumcision. And that wasn't a good term from the eyes of the Jewish people. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, What does David call Goliath? This uncircumcised Philistine. It's a derogatory term. So these were the enemies of God, the ones that wouldn't be saved, the ones that God hated. The state of team foreigner wasn't looking very good. Not just spiritually, but also ethnically, especially from the perspective of those who were circumcised from the Jews. Paul goes on and he says, he qualifies this Jewish comment with the phrase, made in flesh by hands. Made in flesh by hands. It's easy to skim over that phrase. And Paul obviously didn't think that circumcision qualified someone to be a covenant participant. He says, in the flesh. Because if we read the Old Testament, we'll see that Moses and the prophets said that true circumcision was when one's heart was cleansed by God. The circumcision of the heart. So he adds the phrase, with hands. Because in the Greek Old Testament, the same word is used to talk about the idols and the incense altars that humans created with their hand. And it's contrasted with the work of God, the eternal work of God. So in speaking to these Gentile believers, Paul's also pointing That circumcision without a cleansed heart is as good as uncircumcision. Circumcision without a cleansed heart is as good as uncircumcision. So both unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles were in big trouble. They were both part of the same team. The one opposed to God, and in this team, they were also opposed to each other. Let's read verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The list of their past seems to go on, right? Paul continues to talk about at that time, the time of the past, the former time. Remember in verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, it says, you once walked according to the course of this world, he's talking about at that time. And he lists five things that the Gentiles did not have. And he's also implying these are the five things that the Jews had when he says that. Okay, so the first one is their separation from Christ. This is the one that ties it all together. The Christ is also, the Christ is also translated the Messiah. And he was the hope of the Jewish people. Throughout scripture, we even can see after the last book Malachi was written, a lot of the Jewish writings that are not in the Bible also continued to show that they had hope in the Messiah. They hoped in the Messiah, they waited for the Messiah. And while the Jews hoped and desired for the Messiah, the Gentiles had no idea what was going on. They were completely oblivious to Messiah and the hope that he would bring. They had no concept of who he was, and if they had no concept of who he was, there was no way they could ever hope in who he was, right? The Messiah, according to the Bible, was promised to come from the Jewish people and rescue them from their enemies. That was their understanding. These uncircumcised Gentiles in their minds were the enemies that God would rescue them, that the Messiah would rescue them from. He would then be the ruler of the Jews and God's saving plans would be worked out through him. Jewish unbelievers were no different because they were no different from the Gentiles because they hoped for the Messiah but they didn't believe in the Messiah. They hoped in the Messiah but they didn't believe in the Messiah. And not believing in the Messiah is as good as not knowing the Messiah, right? So the Gentiles were explicitly Christless, but those who were circumcised in the flesh by hands were Christless as well. They were both in trouble, in team foreigners. Look at the second phrase. Paul says that the Gentiles were formerly alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And the word commonwealth is a word that the scripture uses for citizenship. So is Paul saying that they didn't have an Israeli passport? Is that what he's saying? That none of these Gentiles could ever have an Israeli passport? I don't think that's what Paul means when he says citizenship. When I first landed in Canada, I was an Indian citizen, and I was an international student. My passport, if you were to look at it, it would say, guess what it would say? India. Yeah, it doesn't mumble. It just said India right? A few years later, I was able to obtain a permanent resident status in Canada. And you know what my passport said? No, it said India. Okay, because I was just a permanent resident in Canada, but I was still an Indian citizen. What this meant was that although I could legally live in Canada and work here and enjoy some of the social benefits of Ontario, I was never really Canadian. And it didn't matter where I went. I never had the rights and privileges of a Canadian without a Canadian citizenship. A few years after that, I was sworn in as a Canadian citizen and obtained a Canadian passport. I was finally Canadian. The very next year, we moved to Texas, to the US, and even though I lived in the US, no, 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 (laughs) this is relevant, okay? (laughs) So even though I moved to the US, guess what my passport said? Canada, exactly. And when I, was in, when I was in the U.S., I had the privileges of Canadian agreements with the U.S. I could work there with a special visa. Uh, there were tax laws that prevented me from paying tax twice across the borders. And because I was a Canadian citizen, I had the rights and privileges of Canada. It didn't matter that I wasn't in Canada. So I could live in Canada and not be a Canadian, as I previously was. And that's what my former state was. But after I became Canadian, I could live outside Canada and continue to enjoy the benefits of being Canadian. Citizenship is much more than just being a resident or having a passport. It is a sense of belonging and position and privilege that comes with it. So Paul isn't talking about political citizenship in Israel because Israel, remember, at that time when he wrote, it wasn't a nation that could issue their own passports. They didn't have passports, but it wasn't a nation on its own. It was just a region under the Roman rule. What he was talking about is the blessings and benefits that came to those that were descendants of Abraham. And they had access to God as a nation, that belong, and this nation belonged to God. And, the ones, and they were the ones that had the temple. So if someone had to go worship the Lord, where did they have to go? They had to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, right? But these Gentiles, they could perhaps become Jewish converts, but they, they would never be citizens of the people of God, according to the paradigm that was set up at that time. The Gentiles, when Jews, Jewish people looked at them, the Gentiles were stateless. They were stateless people. With regards, to, with regards to God's people. He continues, Paul continues to say that they were strangers or foreigners to the covenants of promise. Covenants of promise. Covenants refers to all of the Old Testament covenants. The Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, and even the New Covenant. All of these were covenants that were moving towards the fulfillment of one promise the promise of God dwelling with his people again through the work of the Messiah. And it wasn't until the Great Commission, remember the Great Commission, that the gospel was shared so openly with the Gentile world. Until then, all forms of gospel or good news were that people had to turn to Judaism and worship the Lord as a Jewish convert. This ultimate alienation is that Without Christ and without this covenantal participation, Gentiles were foreigners to God's work in the world. Brothers and sisters, there's a chorus that goes, untold millions are still untold. Untold millions are outside the fold. If you had to have a quick glance at Census Canada, it's going to open your eyes to the changing demographics of Canada. A growing number of people, uh, the last census data that's on Census Canada is 2016. So as of five years ago, 2021 is still being collated and compiled and analyzed. So five years ago, a growing number of people were affiliated with no religion. A growing number of people were Hindu, Muslim, and even Buddhist. It won't be long before a large percentage of the Canadian population would be people that have never heard the name of Christ. God is bringing foreigners, and I don't mean foreigners in that way, but people who are foreign to the idea of God's covenants and God's promise and the the good news of the Messiah. God is bringing foreigners to Canada. Those who would have never known the promises of God and his work in the history of the world. And I appreciate what our brothers at Hill City Baptist and even at Westmount do out in the park on Peterborough on Sunday. They preach the gospel because it's by the preaching of the gospel how the world will know the work of God. Foreigners to the covenant of promise were promiseless people. The fourth and fifth things that the Gentiles were without are hope and God. Now, you might say the Gentiles always had hope. Didn't they have heroes? You read the Odyssey. Didn't they have stories? Of course he had hope. How does one even get out of bed in the morning without hope? Right? And God? <laughs> Come on. The Greeks and the Romans had so many gods. So, so, Paul, what are you talking about? Paul would say that he is talking about a specific hope that the Christless, stateless, and promiseless people don't have. The hope that we all yearn to have. The hope that has apparently been lacking in most of the world in 2020 to 2021, right? Paul is referring to the hope that only Christ, the Messiah, can bring. The hope of the resurrection. Paul is also speaking about only one God, the one true God, because all the others are non-gods. They're nothing, This is the God that has apparently been lacking in the last year or two, wouldn't you say? The one God that is the source of life, the God that made the heavens and the earth, the God that controls every molecule in this universe. So it doesn't matter how pious you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are and devout you are to your God, lowercase g. If your God isn't the God of scripture, the one that made heaven and earth, the holy God that hates your sin so much that he sent Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place to rescue you from your sin, to save you by his grace and not by your own works. If he is not your God, you are godless, you are hopeless, you are promiseless, you are stateless, You are Christless. You are part of the wrong team, and that is big trouble. Paul says to these believers, remember, that's who you were. That is what divided you into two different groups as unbelievers. But he's pushing to a point that this not ought to be what divides them in the church. And he moves forward with this point, and we'll see it. What are some of the things that divide us as believers in the church? I've seen enough of doctrinal issues that divide us, right? Who is our favorite preacher? Who's our favorite theologian? Whether we read a certain Bible translation or not. I think this last year has given us enough to be divided over, hasn't it? Whether we obey government guidelines or not. Whether we we take a vaccination or not. Whether we wear masks or not. Have we sanitized our hands enough or not? You know. And there are always going to be more things that come up with the next big thing that happens. The big thing that divided these people in Ephesians chapter 2 was that as unbelievers, did they inherit the entire package that came as being born in Israel or not? And Paul is going to talk to them about the fact that they may have played that game a certain way in their old team, but now they've been drafted into a new team, and the playbook looks very, very different. Let's consider our second point, team family. Let's read verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul starts his description with, but now, in verse 13. But now is contrasted with, at that time, or then, but now. And he brings probably two of the most beautiful words that could have echoed in that church that day. In Christ, but now in Christ. In being united with the Messiah, everything, everything has changed. The verse is as pivotal as, as the phrase, but God. Do you remember but God in the previous passage? It described the plight of sinful humanity. And but God turns events because God did a new work in Christ. When they were Christless, when they were hopeless, when they were godless, when they were stateless, when they were promiseless at that time. But now, in Christ, now, United with him, things are different. And when describing the new team, team family, Paul talks about how this team was made possible. He was made possible in Christ. That's how the team was established. Let's look at a few phrases in verse 13 and verse 14 and verse 16. It says in verse 13, by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, it says in his flesh. In verse 16, it says in himself. Do you see that? A new team made by the blood of Christ, by the body of Christ, and united with Christ himself. Let's read verse 14 to verse 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What does Paul mean when he says Christ is our peace? Why does one mean peace unless there's conflict? Or enmity, right? So before he can talk about the playbook, he needs to talk about team dynamics. It's formed out of people that are, were at enmity with one another. And much more, they were at enmity with God. They are at enmity with each other, and they were at enmity with God. Can you imagine the chaos of life when you're constantly at odds with one another? for many of us this may not be uncommon right constantly at odds with my spouse at odds with my neighbor my kids my coworkers and often this comes from being at odds with god and this was the problem with these unbelievers they were not in the right relationship with god and therefore they could not be in right relationship with one another and in one brush stroke paul tells them that the conflict has been settled Paul says, Christ himself is our peace. Paul, what do you mean Christ is our peace? Don't Don't you see those Jewish people pointing fingers at us? They call us unclean, uncircumcised, unlawful. How can we be in the same team? What's more, the very law that we've been studying about in the last few weeks in Westmount the law given by God, the law that the Israelites had to practice in order to draw the nations to God, had become the very tool with which they are creating a separation. The Jews used the law to create a separation instead of drawing the nations to God. And the hostility between them and the Gentiles separated anyone else from any connection with Christ. from any connection with the promise, from any connection with hope, from any connection with God himself. In addition to that, the law also did something else. The law separated unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles from God himself. This is because the law condemned them from the very beginning. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that they were all under the wrath of God. So Christ, through his death, we know that the law is good because the law is God's word. Christ, through his death, he destroyed this hostility that the law created. And he brought the Jew and the Gentile together. Because, guess what? The Gentile was no longer obligated to enter into Mosaic Covenant or become a Jew in order to have access to God. Additionally, the Jew and the Gentile have peace with God because Christ created a new humanity. And th- that new humanity is no longer affected by the categories of Jew and Gentile. So these differences are no longer valid or reason for division or hostility. Much more, this new humanity united with Christ is also not at enmity with God. Because remember the old humanity? The old humanity was at, was at enmity with God and was under the wrath of God. So Christ himself is our peace because when we are united with him, we are united with each other. And when we are united with him, we have peace with God and are set in right relationship with him. But this doesn't mean that all of a sudden we lose our ethnic identities and we all become beige. Right? There's no longer red, brown, yellow, black, and white. What this means is that these differences in culture And appearance and language can coexist with love and peace in the body because Christ is our peace. There was once a ship that sailed the Pacific, and this was a time when they didn't have GPS or satellites to help map the seas, the islands or the islands in such a vast ocean. So one day they found an island that seemed to be inhabited, and on closer examination, the sailors found a man that had been stranded there for many years. When they asked him how he lived there and explored the island, he told them that he had built a house and he had built two churches. The sailors were puzzled, and they asked the man, why two churches when there's only one person on the island? And the man said, oh, growing up, we always needed two churches. The one you went to and the ones you stayed away from. (laughs) Right? So isn't it sad that having been united in Christ, we often can't have peace and love with one another. What I like about this morning and the Sundays of the last few months is that many of us have come together despite our various backgrounds. Our desire to worship the Lord and hear from his word has helped us put our differences aside to submit to the Lord and obey him. We can coexist in the body of Christ with our differences, different preferences for food. And music, maybe even carpet colors, right? Not because we've given up on them, but because Christ has removed the need for us to live in hostility. Does that mean that we have chaos and everybody does whatever they want to do? No. But we've demonstrated it today and we've demonstrated it in the past. It means that these differences don't define who we are, nor does it come in the way of accepting one another and loving one another in Christ. And we're going to see that in the next few chapters as we go on in Ephesians. This trickles down into practical church life. So he's established the team and he's shown them team dynamics, but he also wants to equip this team. Let's look at verse 13 and verse 17. So he's made it clear in verse 1 to 10 that the Gentiles and Jews find themselves out of the old team, and this old team. Uh, and they're in the new because of the sacrificial offering of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The concept of far and near, that's Old Testament language again. And we see how Paul used it in, in verse 11, right? In verse 30, however he shows how the blood of Christ was shed for Gentiles to bring them and also us near to proximity with God. And what does this mean? I want you to think about the temple. Think about access to God. Think about the layers of separation. Remember the, the, the Israelites were allowed in the courts? And then maybe only the Levites were allowed in the holy place? And only one of the sons of Aaron was allowed into the holiest place once a year, the Gentiles stood no chance. There was no chance of Gentiles getting anywhere close to the dwelling place of God, the temple. They were far off spiritually and physically. But now, but now in being united with Christ, the opposite has taken place for them. They are spiritually united with God and soon we will see that they will be physically in very close proximity. And we are in close proximity to the presence of God himself. All of this was done not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of Messiah himself. Can you believe that the very Messiah that the Gentiles had no idea about, that very Messiah shed his blood to bring us close to God? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's look at verse 18. We've been given access to God. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the grounds. This very wo- verse is the grounds on which reconciliation, that is peace, has been preached to both Jews and Gentiles. This is on the, the grounds on which we can all be reconciled as believers. In this Messiah, in this new humanity, we have access. Now look at the word. It says, you see, both? We both have access? And now we might think, oh yeah, 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 I've got as much right as that other person to access God. Isn't that how we often think? Because we're so individualistic? I want you to look at the text a little differently and think about it in context of what's being said. We are reconciled because we both have been made into one new humanity. And we both have access because we both have been united with one another. The benefits of this access isn't just that we have equal opportunity. But the benefit is that we can enjoy this opportunity together. Think about that. It's not just that we have pass cards, and my pass card opens as many doors as your pass card does. That's not what Christ came here to do, to make us individuals that have individualistic access alone. When he says you both have access, he means you Jews and you Gentiles that were divided can come together and access the presence of God together. We can celebrate and enjoy God together as the church, and we can enter together and we can meet with God. And that's what we're doing here today, are we not, brothers and sisters? This just doesn't talk about the beauty of Christ's work on the cross at one point, but the ongoing benefit that we enjoy. It says, by the Spirit. We are empowered by the Spirit. And you know what the cherry is on top? You may not have noticed that he slipped this in. We all address God as Father. Can you imagine, once enemies with each other and God, and now being united together, we can approach God and call Him Father. And the playbook isn't over yet. Let's look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul tells them, and I'm going to use my creative sermon words here, that as a result of everything Christ has done, They are no longer part of team foreigners, and thereby they have been recruited into team family. You are no longer team foreigners, but you are team family. That's what he says. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul does make a point in the text to make sure that these believers understand that Gentiles are not added to Israel. That's not what he says, right? He says that Christ has created something new, a new humanity. The Gentiles have been added to the new humanity, and the Jews have been added to this new humanity. It is a new thing. And so he's not saying that you have become fellow citizens of Israel, but he's saying you have now become fellow citizens of something new. And this new thing is the group of saints and the membership of God's household. The believers ought to recognize that their citizenship is with people like them, saints, in this new humanity, which is the family of God. This is the reason we can call God our Father. This new humanity has a new relationship. We don't become Jews. The Jews don't become Gentiles. We all have something new with God. Remember what we talked about when we said what citizenship is? We as believers enjoy all the rights and privileges as all the holy people of God. No longer are we strangers and foreigners as the earlier verses describe. Let's look at our last section, verse 20 to 22. The last way he equips this team is in verses 20 to 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul's continuing to describe the playbook of team family. And he uses the image of a temple being built up. Remember the issue of access? Those who are far away, they couldn't get near to god the problems well paul's telling us that this team is not just that they've come close to god but that this team is now the very temple of god and how is this how is this temple being built up well like any other building duh it needs to have a cornerstone and it needs to have a foundation And he says the cornerstone is the cornerstone that has always been the cornerstone, and this cornerstone is Christ. Very specifically, it is the life, the teaching, and the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. His person and work, of course. On top of that, the prophets and apostles have explained and have elaborated what Christ has shown us through his Holy Spirit. So the foundation is the teaching of God's Word, based on which the on which the church is founded and grows. Christ is the cornerstone that sets the foundation and direction of the building. The position of every other stone, you and me, is determined by him. Now, Paul also uses two words. And uses these two words with the Greek prefix sun. Sun, he's added it to the front of it. It means together. And this is at the end. It says you're joined together and built together. So he's using language to describe what happened in older architecture. When mortar was in used, you used stone to make a building, but every stone had to be cut to fit with the stones beside it, to fit with the stone above it, to fit with the stones below it. And that is how the people of that is what God is doing through his word and through the prophets uh, through his word and through the spirit to the people of the church as we submit to god's word as we submit to the teachings of christ that were expanded and explained by the prophets and apostles god is fitting each one of us together to get closer to one another so even though they were enemies even though they had their differences as part of team family God continues to work on them. And guess what the end result is? It's not isolation. It's not separation. It's not, I need my personal space. It's not, why are you all up in my business? The end result of God's work on team family is that each member is shaped by God through his word and by his spirit to be in community and close proximity with one another because there's one one goal and one goal alone to be God's home not only are we have not only do we have access to God but God makes us his people makes us his home and he forces us into proximity with one another he chisels us he puts us close together why because in bringing us close to one another he is building and forming his home he doesn't just stop there he says it's not all of you alone the temple continues to grow the lord continues to bring people to him the lord continues to chisel and shape and fit his people together on the foundation of his word so that he can dwell with us isn't that a contrast with how everything started people with man-made identities in the flesh, separated from one another and from God, but are now chiseled together to form a new identity in the Spirit, to be fit together as a home for God? The same word of God, the commandments, were twisted to be used as hostility between one another. But now the same word of God is used to chisel them, to bring them closer to one another. This is the new playbook for team family, being fit together and united as a family, as a home for God. So summarizing what, we, what we've seen in Ephesians so far, the father is to be praised for his plan of reconciling things in heaven and on earth to Christ. And the church is ground zero of this reconciliation process. He has united us with one another and with Christ to be reconciled to God. And we will see further in the series how this affects our very lives, how fathers and sons and husbands and wives and church people are to work with one another and live with one another so that when the world and when the heavenly forces, remember the principalities and powers and rulers and authorities, when they look on at God's work in heaven and earth, what do they look at first? They look at the church. So how do we apply this text? How do we avoid making Jim Marshall's of ourselves as the arena of heaven and earth look on at team family? If we're being fit together and united as a family, the dwelling place of God, the best way to not make gym marshals of ourselves is to lean into that. Lean into it and move forward. Allow God's word to chisel us. Allow God's word to fit us together. And you know how that works? This week, we need to pick up the phone. We need to call someone or text someone because our phones can even text people and have them over for coffee if you can. Or at least talk to them if you can have them over for coffee. And preferably think of someone who is very different from yourself. Different taste in food perhaps different pastime, a different history. All of us have different histories, or even age. You'd be surprised at how the Lord is fitting us all together to be his temple and his home. What's more? What what more? You'd be playing exactly by the playbook of team family.